0: If you could, please turn in your Bible to 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. Pastor Drew is preaching through James, as you know, and I'm not going to step on his toes because he's doing so wonderfully. So I, I decided to return back to the letter of 1 John, one of my favorite letters. It's hard to pick a favorite, but it's one of my favorites to read. And you may recall a long while back, I, I actually exhorted you all from verses 17 all, or 7 all the way to 17. And we focus on the newness of the old commandment, to love. And by newness, we are referring to that new age, that the new covenant, the new life which we have, this new age which was inaugurated, begun by Christ. And with it, this new heart, a new understanding, a new ability to keep that old commandment. We were, in other words, looking at the theological undergirding a huge passage. But now this morning, we return back to this passage to examine that which we only glossed over before. So let us then give an ear to God's holy and inspired word. Let us listen to our Lord speaking to us. "'Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness.' Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who was from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who was from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Our Holy Father, King of heaven, you who know our feeble frames, we ask for a mighty work among us. We ask for you to pour your Spirit out upon us, to guide us, and to illumine us. Aid me to teach your word. Awaken us all to hear and receive your truth. And we ask this in the name of our faithful Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. It would be easy at this point to uh, give a sermon on loving your brother. Seems to be what John's talking about. John has already mentioned the old, new commandment, and by inference, we can see that this is the commandment that John is mentioning here, to love one another. But notice... I'm not trying to be nitpicky, but notice that John doesn't explain at all what loving your brother means in this passage. John doesn't explain what loving your brother looks like, how to do it. He doesn't even say that we should. He doesn't say why. He actually just assumes you know these things. Now, John will, in fact, later on in his letter, flesh out the details of loving your brother, but he doesn't do that here. He is, so to speak, saving it for later. So, while a sermon on loving your brother would be biblically faithful, I believe it would be best to, along with John, save it for later in this letter. Rather, I want us to look at the big picture that John is painting for us. John is creating word pictures, painting uh, these imaging, this contrasting images, so that we can see the differences between the reality of walking in the light and the difference between, uh, and the difference of being deceived about it. Our text this morning, in fact, uses that old new commandment to conjure up that image. He says in verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. The ESV translates the Greek, ho-legon, as whoever says, but a closer and perhaps clunkier translation would be the one who says. In other words, John is describing the kind of person who claims to be in the light, but such a person is, in fact, living a false reality. And we can discern that because we can see that they hate their brother. The old new commandment is not true in him. Further, John says in verse 11, that whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The one who says they are in the light but hates their brother is spiritually blinded by sin and darkness. Now remember, dear saints, John is writing this whole letter because he wishes to sh- for you to share in the fellowship of believers. That's his stated goal in verse 1 3. And that goal is so deeply impressed upon his heart that John, John here is making sure you understand that stark difference between the deception and the reality. He's painting a a bright, dark, light, contrasting picture between those two because he wants you to see it, to discern it, and instead of falling for the deception, have the reality. In fact, it is so important for John that you understand the differences that John has already painted three other contrasting pictures. We've encountered them as we've gone through 1 John together. Already in this letter, John has written three other sets of uh, contrasts. The one who says this, but this. The one who says this, but this. He's done this four times total. And when you view all four together, you get a beautiful vista to help you discern between deception and reality. The stakes are high here. The difference between really... Being in the light and being deceived about it is literally the difference between eternal life and eternal damnation. It is so very easy to be deceived, to be blinded by darkness. And John does not want that for you. He wants you to have fellowship in the light. He wants you to have that reality. So this morning, I I want to examine the, the set of four contrasting pictures. We're going to begin by looking at the darker side of these pictures. So bear with me, it's, it's going to be dark for a while, but we will get to the light. If you have your Bibles, you, you can actually flip around and try to follow along with me. Otherwise, just give ear. We're going to look at 1 John 1, 6 through 7 real quick. This is the first contrasting picture that John writes for us. He says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Note those beautiful similarities between our passage this morning in chapter 2 and this passage here in chapter 1. Both address the realities of either walking in darkness or being in the light. Both contain someone who makes false claims. Both speak of having a loving relationship, a fellowship with other believers. These and other kind of similarities that we will encounter, they are are strung together uh, like a necklace of pearls, showing that there is a clear connection. This set of four is indeed a set meant to be read together. But as strikingly beautiful as these similarities are, it's in the differences. It's in the differences that we can see what John wants us to know. For example, consider how in our passage, in verse 2:11, the one who says they're in the light, but hates his brother, is described as being blinded by the darkness. The darkness has blinded their eyes. They are spiritually blind. they are deceived. In verse 1-6, it doesn't say the person is deceived. In fact, it says the person is a liar. They are the deceiver. And such is the pernicious nature of sin. By nature, all people are guilty of being deceived and guilty of being the deceiver. On one hand, walking in sin and darkness leaves us in a sorry state of spiritual blindness. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Spiritual blindness is a lamentable condition. But we're more than just spiritually blind. Because on the other hand, walking in sin and darkness is a willful act. Walking in sin and darkness means we consciously, willfully suppress the truth and unrighteousness, as Paul says in Romans 1.18. For although they knew God, Paul says in Romans one twenty one, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is the terrible dual nature of sin. It is both the terrible condition in which all people have been born, and it is the terrible path we choose to walk. Why do people choose to walk such a terrible path? It is as John writes in his gospel it is because people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. It's in John chapter 3. And that last phrase, lest his works should be exposed, is, is important. Because you could ask the question, why would someone lie and say if they're in the light, if they hate the light? If they love the darkness, why claim to be in the light? Though by nature we we love darkness and our own evil works, this is true, none of us, nobody, likes feeling guilty and ashamed. Spiritually blinded sinners love their evil works, but they hate feeling guilty or shameful about them because those feelings, guilt and shame, would rob them of the pleasures of sin. And so, rather than having their sin exposed for the, the darkness that it is, the evil wickedness that it is, they deceive themselves. They deceive themselves into saying they have no sin. They deceive themselves into saying they walk in the light. Is that not what John tells us elsewhere in his letter? In the second contrasting picture that he makes for us, beginning in 1 John 1.8, eight. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That deception is uh, thematically linked to our passage this morning, which speaks of darkness blinding the eyes. But John develops this theme a little further and adds in uh, 1 John 1.10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We make God the liar. The pernicious nature of sin and the dark deception runs even deeper than we feared. Not only by nature do we deceive ourselves, but the one who says they have not sinned is making God out to be the liar, God to be the unjust one. Perish the thought. By no means should anyone consider God to be the liar. The liar. It says, Pastor Drew uh, just taught uh, last week, do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. It is as John has already proclaimed to us in this letter, 1 John 1.5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. So you may wish, you may wish for your sin to not be exposed, to not feel that guilt and shame. You may wish to escape that, to escape God's light and holy countenance. But you cannot escape guilt, shame, and punishment by impugning the character of God. Your own conscience bears witness, Paul says, that you have transgressed God's holy standards. That is the source of guilt and shame. Your conflicting thoughts accuse or even try to excuse you. But Paul says, on that day, according to the righteous gospel of God, God will judge the secrets of the heart by Christ Jesus. God will not be mocked, and your deceptions will lead to death. Now, the third contrasting picture begins in 1 John 2, 4, wherein John uh, seeks to demolish yet another deception which can come dangerously close to home. He starts by saying, whoever says, I know him, whoever says, I know God, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Note again, there are many similarities between this and our passage this morning. Again, the Greek here can be translated as the one who says. Again, this person makes a a false claim concerning his relationship with God. Again, this person is guilty of not keeping God's commandments. And again, as we saw in chapter 1, this person is guilty of lying. But there are a few key differences I, I want to trace out for you. First, remember in our passage in, in John two nine, first John two nine, John only listed one commandment that was broken: the failure to love your brother. And by extension, love our sister. But in John 2.4, John states that this deceived liar is guilty of breaking God's commandments. Plural. John here is creating with the smallest of brush strokes a subtle difference why is he doing this? There's two uh, two ideas that jump out to me. First, John could be showing us that a failure to love your brother would entail being guilty of breaking all the commandments. As James tells us in James 2 10, he says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. But I think John is showing us Again, that pernicious nature of sin. He's showing us that because of man's condition of spiritual blindness and man's willful suppression of righteousness, those who are in darkness are unable to perfectly keep any of God's laws. Romans 3.12, All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. You can say you have no sin. You can say you know God. You can even do good things by human standards. But do not be deceived. If you remain in darkness, even your best works, even when you appear to be keeping God's law, all your righteous deeds are but filthy rags. Isaiah 64, 6. While you remain in darkness, everything you do is tainted by sin. Selfishness and pride are stains upon every good thought, every good word, every good deed you could present. not see where you are going. You are spiritually blinded. The reality of the new covenant, the new life, the new heart, that is not true in you. God's word is not in you. John says in verse 110, his truth is not in you. Verse 2-4. And so the the picture we are seeing is that sin is deceptive, dark, deep, and deadly. Rather than worshiping and serving the true God, the creator of all reality, people in their sins exchange the truth of God for a lie. All those who dwell in darkness are both deceivers and deceived. It is unavoidable and it is willful. It is the dark reality in which all fallen humanity finds itself. It is full of guilt. It is full of shame. It is full of despondency and despair, and you cannot escape it on your own. You can only further deceive yourselves. You could be the one who says, I know God, I'm in the light, but you would be deceived. You can even deceive yourself into thinking that God is the liar, God is unjust, I'm not the problem, but you would be deceived. And not only do those deceptions fail to lift you out of the darkness in which you find yourself, but they further condemn you. It is not I who condemn you. One day, those deceptions will be shown for what they are, false realities. You will hear the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. He has been appointed by God His son, Jesus, he is the one who will speak. And he is the judge of the living and the dead. He is the one who says, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that day. And when you hear his judgment, then you will experience the reality of the gloom of utter darkness forever. That is a dark picture being painted. But remember, John doesn't want that for you. John wants you to share in the fellowship of believers in the light. Perhaps you are sitting here or you're listening and you're beginning to, to, to feel the Spirit stirring in you. You're beginning to see the deceptions for what they are. If so, listen well, because John wants you to know how to have light, how to have life. There is a reality of God's light, and John desires that for you. In our passage this morning, to contrast the darkness John wrote in 2.10, he says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Notice, there is no false claim here. There is only the reality. The one who abides in the light has had the reality of the old commandment made new, made true in him. In 1 John 2, 5, we read, Whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God, is perfected. Again, the reality made true in this person. And notice John doesn't say keep his commandments in verse 5. He says, keeps his word. The reality of the new covenant, the new life and the new heart is true in this person, and that person has a new understanding, a new ability to follow all God's commandments because God has written them on his heart. He has the fuller revelation, the fuller ability. He can keep the word of the word, Jesus Christ. Such a person, therefore, can truly be said to walk in the light. As John says in verse 1-7, if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is the beautiful bounty that God has for his saints. The beautiful blessings of living in the reality of God and his light. In his light, we can have true fellowship with him and with one another. But more than that, God will cleanse every sin we have ever committed or will commit with the precious blood of Jesus, his son. Now, who is this Jesus that John is writing about? This is Jesus, the carpenter from Galilee. He, this Jesus is the man who called John to be his disciple. And yet, this Jesus was not a mere man like I am. This Jesus was the God-man, the Son of God incarnate. Now, John did not originally discern that reality. Jesus, however, gave John a partial glimpse to it, and to him and to other disciples one day upon a mountain when he transfigured, the Bible says, before them. Matthew seventeen two says that Jesus' face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. It's as if the glorious light of Jesus's divinity couldn't be contained any longer and shined forth so that they could catch that glimpse of who he really is. And then John and the other disciples heard a voice come from a cloud, the one who says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to his voice. And now John, in this letter, tells us that it is this Jesus who came to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means a a, a sacrifice, a a gift offering that satiates and removes wrath. Jesus of Galilee, God incarnate, some 2,000 years ago, died on the cross and poured out His blood, and He did this to be our propitiation. Jesus did not do it. Jesus did not die because he was guilty of sin. In reality, he was sinless. He walked in the light. But he died in the place of sinners by taking their sin upon himself. Upon that cross, he suffered our darkness, was charged with our guilt, felt our shame, all of which we rightly deserve, you see, because, because we are both deceivers and deceived by nature, our dark reality demands that we suffer those things eternally. But Jesus, the eternal Son of God, endured that dark reality upon the cross. He drank the cup of God's wrath down to the dregs of death. And this He did so that you could experience the true reality, the true, true reality of life and light of God, so that you could be cleansed with His blood? Do you wish to know how you can experience that cleansing? Do you wish to be free from the burden of shame and guilt? Do you wish to make the realities, these new realities of life and light, true in you? Then listen well. Listen to the Son. Listen to the ones the Son has sent, You must confess that you have been born spiritually blind and are a willful sinner. In the last contrasting picture, I I wish to look at the beautiful stroke of light in verse 1-9, which says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love this verse. If you wish to escape the darkness you find yourself in, you must do this. If God's Spirit is working in your heart, if you are filled with a true grief and hatred over your sin, then confess your sins to God and believe that Jesus died for your sin. And what's more, believe that He rose again from the dead. Because, dear saints, how could we ever have hope of fellowship with the eternal and true God of light and life, if God could be overcome by death, if Jesus had only died and did not ri- rise also again from the dead, we could have no forgiveness. We could have no hope. If Jesus did not rise again, death would have swallowed up life. This is a reality we are all too familiar with in our, in our lives. Darkness would have overcome light. This is a reality many people struggle with today. But in fact, in Jesus Christ, death was swallowed up by life. Darkness did not overcome the light because Jesus did in fact rise again from the dead. Jesus had taught, him, taught his disciples this repeatedly. He had told them that he would suffer, would be crucified, and would rise again on the third day. But they did not believe They did not understand. Even John was blind to this truth at first. Even John was deceived. It wasn't until John saw the empty tomb for himself in the gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 8, that he believed for himself what Jesus had taught, that he finally was able to listen and receive the true reality. And note that this Jesus— was not a resurrected phantom or ghost. No, this Jesus rose again with a body, a body with which John could see with his eyes the spiritual blindness removed. Yet he could touch with his hands and handle. This resurrected Jesus, this is the Jesus whom John calls you to believe in. Jesus died and he rose again in order that we may be forgiven and have fellowship with him forever. This Jesus defeated death so that you could have life. This Jesus overcame the darkness so that you could abide in the light. And if you believe in him, the new realities of life and light can become true in you now. The truth, God's word, would abide in you. And John says in our passage that there would be no cause for stumbling in you. So I pray then that if anyone does not yet believe in Christ, and if the Holy Spirit, as I said, is working in your heart do not settle for false realities. Do not settle for darkness and death. Believe in Jesus Christ and be sharers of this new and true reality in Him. As our time draws together for a close, I want to conclude with a word of encouragement for believers. It's, it, this is a, I didn't want to write a pun, but it's a pun, so please put up with it. That phrase... No cause for stumbling really trips Christians up. We stumble over that because as we look at it and then we look at our own lives, we see that we do indeed stumble every day. We stumble and sometimes fall into believing old deceptions. We stumble and sometimes willfully sin. We even sometimes cause other believers to stumble. So when we look at this, no cause for stumbling," we, we can look at it and think, "This can't be true of me. I, I can't be who John is describing. But I want to encourage you, dear saints. as I've mentioned in previous sermons throughout this letter, John knows perfectly well that sinless perfection is not achievable in this life. Through Jesus, you indeed have become true partakers of the heavenly reality, but that blessed perfectness. A sinless existence will not be ours until we too have been resurrected from the dead. So, what on earth does John mean that there's no cause for stumbling in us? I propose it is this, beloved. The most true thing about who you are is whatever God says of you, whatever God thinks of you. As a Christian, God says you are forgiven. God says his word abides in you. God says you are his child. God says he knows you and that you know him. And God says you have overcome the world, the devil and the flesh. God is the one who says those things. And you can be sure then that those things are true because he is the father of lights in whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. He is the one that has declared this. And because there's no variation of change, you can be sure, once he has declared it, it will be forever true of you. There is no cause for stumbling. You have begun walking in the light. You can be sure you will never stumble and fall off that path back into the darkness. The one who says those things is God. And now John, to conclude, writes these things to you so that you may know what is really true of you. In verse 12, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. And I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in our, wic- uh, in our weakness, it can be so hard to believe that such things are true of us. Help us to believe in what you have said. Help us to view ourselves in light of what you have said of us. And as we fail, help us to confess our sins and to be cleansed. As we fail, may you pick us up, make us strong. Give us the testimony of your Holy Spirit in our lives and help us to remove the deceptions from our eyes and to behold the true reality, and the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.